This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan. Today, we're having a yarn with Bill Castledon. Bill is a harvest contractor based at Warren in central west New South Wales. Bill discovered his interest in contract harvesting while working on farms near Warren and using these connections and others, partnered with his mates in 2017 to start their contracting business. In this episode, Bill chats to us about the intricacies of running a harvest contracting business. From the complexities of machinery setup to attracting and keeping good workers to run the paddock-based activities. You'll also hear Bill share how crop harvesting has taken him further than he could ever have imagined. From time spent in the Gulf of Queensland down to the coast of Victoria, learning along the way how to get the best out of his machines. Local Land Services cropping advisor Tim Bartamote caught up with Bill near Warren in a couple of old armchairs at his home on Drungalier. Well, g'day everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're joined with Bill Carsten, full-time harvest contractor. How are you going today, Bill? Not too bad, Tim. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. We're actually out at Drungalier in a very cool-looking project. What, you've moved in here already? Yeah, yeah, moved in here already and getting married soon, so we're trying to get it all set up so that we can uh, move in as a couple. Now, this is probably a bit of a different podcast than I normally would, but I thought it'd be really interesting to sit down with someone who does a lot of harvesting all over the place. Can you start off and let us know how you got into harvest contracting? It all sort of began back in 2016. I came to Warren to work for a farmer for harvest just as a uh, gopher, just running around doing all the odd jobs, bagging and what have you, a little bit of chaser binning, but then... Yeah, just caught the bug. And from there, there was a, an opportunity with a couple of mates to get into a machine. We were never preparing to do that, but it's something that just came up out of the blue and we went for it. You were just saying before we started this that your main gig then that drives what you do each season is you're trying to fit it all around your harvesting. So what's some of the places that you've done like gone to as part of this? With our own machine, we've do plenty of work around Warren and then we've been down to southern Victoria. Then throughout the worst year of the drought, we really didn't have a client base or a contact list that we could lean upon and get work. So I actually went and drove for a Victorian contractor just as a, a driver, an operator, and we harvested in southern Victoria and then the following year, I should say, from probably June right through until September, I was harvesting sorghum and soybeans up in the Burdekin in uh, northern Queensland. And then we were harvesting sorghum on a station up in the Gulf country of Queensland and that filled in a few months. So I've been all over the place. I haven't gone over to Western Australia or anything like that, but been right up north and south along the eastern seaboard. You're right. So all across the eastern side of the country harvesting back and forth, working with various groups. What's it like compared to here? Like what's it like to harvest all the way up in far north Queensland? It's very different. 
the general operation of things is not not so different apart from your isolation essentially your accessibility to parts is the biggest drama even in the burdekin where we had a john deere dealership in town they didn't have any parts that weren't sugarcane harvesters so they had to air freight parts in whenever we wanted anything you're right so it's just harder to get to keep the machine going essentially yeah that's right you've got to probably be quite on top of things and be watching your machine and if something really catastrophic goes wrong then you're down for quite a bit of time you talked about getting a bug you know you've worked on various farms like we've known each other a little while now what draws you to being a harvest contractor initially it was a lot to do with big machineries i very much and fascinated and have been for a very long time with large machinery and headers just had a cool factor that i thought was pretty sweet and also the hustle and bustle of harvest there's a lot happening there's a lot of cogs in that time a lot of people need to be on the same page to get the simple job of getting grain off a plant into a storage depot or into a silo there's a lot of hands and a lot of coordination that needs to happen there's probably a a misconception that a lot of headers today are just like set and forget you know press a button away you go kind of thing but there's quite a bit going on in terms of setting up and making sure everything's right and you can't just chuck anyone on a header these days can you i know there are plenty of different ways people run their operation i know of plenty of corporate farms and even contractors that use backpackers and obviously the skill range with backpackers can vary dramatically from unexperienced to a lot of experience but i think in turn you do depending on your skill level of operators you need someone there to manage the crew as far as setting up and forgetting as the conditions change throughout the day you are requiring different settings as the grain dries out you're not wanting to thresh it as hard or else you're going to be cracking it yeah you're really fiddling with it all the time ideally to get the best result you also mentioned that you went as far south as the bottom of victoria what's that like after going through queensland new south wales and down there what's that extreme compared to the top of queensland yeah even victoria can vary a lot like the northern areas are reasonably similar to us but the southern districts can be very different they're in quite a high rainfall area they're often farmed on raised beds i'm not sure what that row spacing is but every three or four meters i think there's a drain that actually runs water away from the paddock and out into a nearby creek or something so it's very different to the vast and flat paddocks that we have here crop yields can vary depending on the year obviously they have a tendency to have very good yields because they get their rainfall but i guess like all areas if it doesn't work out then things aren't so flash and as far as harvesting goes with it being closer to the coast sometimes you can get even a sea breeze even 50k's 60k's inland if you get a breeze off from the south that can really affect your grain moisture and the ability to dry out grain and so um, days can tend to be quite short down there as well there's plenty of times where you can get a pretty good run at it and it's feels like normal harvest and you're working 16 hour days but if you just have unfavorable weather it can be nearly daylight hours harvesting you're right so the the local climate as you've traveled all across the eastern seaboard kind of thing really has an impact on what you're doing 
Yeah, that's a big part of what we're monitoring is grain moisture, the storageability of the grain. Yeah, if we don't get that right, there's a lot of ramifications and it's even ramifications on the grain, but it's hard work on the machinery too. Once it starts getting doughy it's and tough and moist, that's when you're really working your machines quite hard and you're putting more wear and tear. And so you're trying to manage that as well. Yeah, right. So there's, a, there's an impact on quality. There's an impact on your machine. So you mentioned that you had your own header and you kind of how you started in this area was you got the bug. What was that process then from getting the bug to getting your own machine? It was chaos, I think. It was something so out of the blue. I was still learning about agriculture. I was only pretty fresh into the industry, but I knew I loved it. And so, yeah, it was the people I was working for in my first harvest. I was really good mates with both his sons. And so through quite a chain of events, we ended up purchasing as a partnership two mates and myself, a header, with the backing or assistance of their dad. I really don't know how you would be able to do that without assistance from someone who's a bit more set up. Yeah, so having that network, getting to know some people in the industry really propelled you and and your mates along getting right into it. Yeah, that's right. If I was uh, a young person in the industry also interested in contracting, how do you recommend I get into the game? I really do think that contacts and your network is everything. A common saying is it's who you know, not what you know. takes you a lot further places. That rings true to my experience. I had no idea about headers. Like To be honest, I think I'd driven, driven a header for like five minutes in that first harvest I did and very much enjoyed it, but I was being very closely monitored by the operator and... The next time I drove a header, it was the one that I owned. So I, I really had no idea what I was doing, but we had the support of my mate's dad. So now you've got a header and what do you do next? Like how do you find work? Finding work is, I think that's something I'm still battling with. It seems to be working a bit better now. A lot of the time it's word of mouth to my experience. Yeah, I really haven't gotten a great deal of work from other avenues. It's a lot of just word of mouth. You've bought a header, you got one. And so you just worked locally for a little bit there. For the, What seasons were that in particular? Yeah, so we purchased in 2017. So, well, the first year was the year that we took our header south with the other contractor. Since then, we haven't taken our own machine down there. Yeah, haven't got the contacts and I guess it's there's a lot of soul searching on in what do we want out of the business it's a long way from home and it's a long time away right so initially it was a bit of a you got your new header it was a bit of a you had one or two clients it's a bit hard to get work but eventually got around a a few more can you explain where you went from there the main job we do in warren i would say covers most of our bases and so whatever we get on the side is a bonus And so this last season and last year as well, we've been able to pick up more work because our machines have got tracks where we're capable of working in some wetter country. And so I think, yeah, locally there was just somehow our name got talked about a little bit. And uh, so, yeah, we had a few phone calls to do with flood harvesting, some crops that the other headers that they already had couldn't get to. What kind of header do you have? We run class machines, 750, which is a 
reasonably small one and 770. So that's a pretty, pretty reasonably sized machine. I'm not sure there's too many above, above that in horsepower anyway. So it's yeah, got a lot of capability and capacity for harvesting a lot of tons now. Like how did you go about that process of selecting one? Well, it, once again, it's the opportunity that fell into our lap. We didn't necessarily choose the header that we first purchased. It just happened to be the opportunity that arose and we took it and we got to know class and we're pretty happy with what it can do and the variety of jobs it can do and at reasonable quality. And so in getting the second one, it was just made sense that our parts would correlate and we didn't have to carry two different stocks in parts. We just happened to be the brand that we got a hold of in the first header and the, the second header just made sense just because that's what we already had. Yeah, right. So you've got two headers now. When did you get the second one? Got the second one at, it's done two seasons now. So it was a good year. The first year that it did, it was. You must have liked the contracting side a little bit, owning your own header to get another one. But... It was something that I was gaining experience in. And so there's a feeling of, oh, I actually know a couple of things about this. And so I just wanted to expand, keep going that direction. I'm pretty happy with the knowledge that I have now. I feel confident enough to be able to walk in to a field or to a farmer and talk about their crop and what the possibilities are, if there's any going to be any complications or the different ways to tackle a certain paddock or a certain certain crop. So Bill, can you kind of comment what you think is the difference between owning a header as a farmer? Because that seems to be potentially one of the last bits of machinery you might buy compared to a spray rig and sewing rig and tractors versus owning a header as a contractor. Owning a header as a farmer, it's I've never been in the shoes, but I feel like it's nearly something that you would purchase just so you don't have to rely on someone to be there when they said they would be there. Yeah, I guess there's plenty of people that say they'll be there and they don't show up. And so there's this risk of, is he actually going to be here? And so from a farmer's point of view, if you have that machine, then you just know that you've got the gear, you're going to get it off. So it's that argument of timeliness. Argument of timeliness for sure. But then again, it's also return on investment isn't like your other machinery that you're always going to use every year. And so I guess looking at it in a contractor light where we like to think that we're able to break even in a bad year is that, well, we're not going to just solely rely on what a farmer would rely on a farm in an area and the rain would fall on that area. We would hope as a contractor that rain's going to fall somewhere and so there is a chance for us to go and get work. Right. So it's not as risky potentially as a contractor because you can still make your return on investment because you're mobile. Yeah, possibly in theory. I think there's a lot of competition out there as well. So that's got to be accounted for. It's one way to look at it. But yeah, it is quite a competitive game. I think a lot of people enjoy it and there's a lot of headers out there. But then once again, like you said, it's in a good year, that's when there's a shortage. So it's it's obviously still room for more. Mm, You're in high demand kind of thing. Because I do see like my own experience, you know, you're in the queue. It feels like you're just waiting for, oh, mate, he's like, yep, I'm doing this one, this one, this one, then I come to you. And so it seems like in those good years when people put in more crop area, you're just, yeah, you're under the pump trying to get from farm to farm to farm. Yeah, that's right. And it is a difficult one that you're balancing up relationships with people versus your books. 
and what's best for the business. The ideal scenario is that we go on a large property and we're busy all season and we don't have to move anywhere. It just makes things so much simpler. The cream of the crop, the contracts that people are often chasing is just big, big area. And so it is a real struggle for the little guys. They do tend to get put on the back burner, unfortunately. And so it's a toss up between the you know, looking after someone versus what's best for the business. Yeah, managing those relationships. Because I guess for you, every time you move, that's a cost or that's a time when you're not harvesting. And so for you, it's important to always have your machine doing its job. Yeah, it's a difficult one because then I feel like word of mouth is a big one for me. And so I don't want to step on anyone's toes. I want to appease everyone and be as helpful as I possibly can. But yeah, that can always be difficult. But it's interesting to hear that the best option for you is to find the biggest farm with the most amount of crops you don't have to move around too much. Yeah, there's a lot less downtime. Like any piece of machinery, the less time it's in the paddock, the less return it's making. Now, I thought we could just reflect back on the last couple of seasons that we had, which has been phenomenal in terms of rainfall, you know, some crazy yields floating about. But some of those seasons also were nightmares in terms of harvest. Can we just roll through some of these last few years and just, yeah, if you could comment on your experience in each of them. So in, in 2020, coming off the back of the drought, what was harvest like in 2020? Well, from memory, I think it was the best of the last three we've had was 20. Must have been pretty good. You got a new header after it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That is definitely one of the things that we were fortunate enough to have is that throughout the drought, we were the sole contractor. Just in terms of purchasing the second header, we were the sole contractor. So we had enough work to just keep turning cash flow over. But then once, once, the, once the years turned good, the demand for headers on the property went up. And so there was space for more machines. So it's, to me, when the year looked so good, it seemed like hardly a risk to just get another one. There needed to be another one in the crew. We aren't the only contractor there. We're working alongside a, a few, but there was an opening to expand our fleet to fill the void that a good year had created on that farm. What made it so good was just good temperatures, not too much rain at the end. I think that's what it was. Yeah, I'm definitely not a an agronomist or I don't growing crops is something I really don't know much about. But yeah, I think it was a good soft finish and it may have been an average harvest in terms of wet conditions as well from memory. Like we had rainfall events that held us up, but in general we had very good dry running. We were able to get a lot done in a day. And then so moving on from there, twenty twenty was kind of better year for harvest but moving to 2021 the opposite end of the spectrum potentially when did you start harvest in 2021 and when did you finish i think we were two weeks late roughly we're aiming for that second week of october start on canola that is that's not wheat on canola second week of october is the average yeah it was nearly november before we got going in 21 and then we finished the day before Christmas. So it ended up being quite short, but I think that was because we had country that got flooded out that we just couldn't get to. We then had tidy up jobs. I did my last day on the header in March that following year, just because they were crops that couldn't be gotten until that point. 
So yeah, that's very different. That's just tidying up and you're doing a day here and a day there and you wait for it to dry out and then you have another go and you get a little bit. That's very much working on your own. You just get told to go and see what you can find and come back and put it in a bin and knock off. Yeah, right. And so what made that year so difficult? Yeah, so particularly around here, we there's a lot of rain in the catchment. We we got held up with rain while we were on canola, but the biggest one was we in the upper of the catchment, we does a stack of rain. And so we had flood water coming into the paddocks. And so we were trying to, we left canola, jumped onto wheat on the flood prone country and was just trying to get off as much as we could there because that was the highest risk for the farmer at the time that he would lose that whole crop. That year in particular, we actually had next to no dramas while the flood water was fresh with getting bogged we were driving through at times a foot of water whilst harvesting so that was extremely different i'd never experienced anything like that was it an instance where tracks aren't a good option i think the way i'm explaining it at the moment is tracks will get you further as far as going through wet country wet ground but if it's too wet you're only going to end up further in the bog hole and harder to access. Right. So it's so it's a bit of a catch-22 in terms of you'll get further when, when it's wet, but when you're properly bogged, then it's going to be hard to get you back out because everyone's got to get closer, yeah. Can be. Thankfully, from my experience, I've seen wheels dig like a very big hole and a hole with quite steep sides. And so getting the header up out of that can be your biggest challenge. With the tracks, the, the hole that's created is actually a lot more shallow. You actually stop losing motion and momentum at a much shallower depth. So pulling you out is actually, this is on the country that we've harvested on that's nice solid black. It's easy to pull you out. It's just you just can't gain traction. I've definitely heard of stories where even tracked headers were being bogged for multiple, multiple days, just like the wheeled ones were. How many times did you get bogged in that season? In 21, I didn't get bogged throughout the main part of harvest. I think the ground was still quite solid and firm and it was just purely flood water on top. Once we got to the tidying up jobs and the water had been there for a while and we got into some different soil types to what I had experienced where there was a soupy subsoil that as soon as you broke through that top crust, you were gone. I did find though that I had no troubles going over that area once it was often if i backed out and said no i don't think i can go further and i would reverse out and then i would go in so it's a hard one it is a catch-22 you don't know if you're better off to just keep pushing on forwards and hope that you're not going to go get into a worse scenario but sometimes going backwards can get you in just as much trouble and how proficient are you at pulling headers out of bogs i think we're not too bad i definitely haven't had to get the shovel out and dig like I have heard some people. So I've had it pretty easy, really. Okay. So that was 2021. And the one we just had, 2022, what was harvest like just gone? We were concerned because it had been so wet all year. And I had thought that potentially this time we're going to have a lot more trouble because the whole profile would have been saturated. Yeah. Here in Warren, it's we had floodwaters here for six seven, eight months, I'm not sure, something like that. It was quite a while. We did still run into 
more bogging issues than the previous year just because I think the soil had properly softened up by now. But we were still able to dance around those wetter areas. The really wet areas obviously just didn't grow crops. There was no need for us to go there. But we still had a few a few problems. But once again, nothing like other people that I've heard. We we had it pretty good. Sound like you really nailed it the last two seasons in terms of yeah, not experiencing that bad. So Bill, can you just mention some of the challenges that you found, you know, owning two headers in different seasons, like the mechanical side of things potentially? Yeah, so in the the drought years, we really struggled to load the machine up with material. Headers really do work best with bulk material, straw and grain moving through it. That's when they make their cleanest sample to my experience. So in the drought year, it was quite difficult to getting enough product in there to nearly cushion the blow on the seed versus then threshing it enough to actually thresh it out. Yeah, right. So there's the season kind of an impact. Yeah, just how much is actually coming in. Yeah, literally how much product you've got coming in really affects greatly what your settings are with speeds and clearances internally. And what's your process there in determining the right settings for your headers? Have you got it down to a fine art now or is it every time, every paddock's different, every season's different, you're always adjusting? Yeah, every season is different, every paddock's different. Generally, as long as you're harvesting, we'll just talk wheat, if you're harvesting a certain variety of wheat, most of the time, farm-wide, for that variety, you're pretty much going to be able to use the same rough settings and then throughout the day you'll be fiddling. But generally, you're probably not going to stray too far away for a particular variety depending on how hard it is to thresh out. Is there particular varieties that you find easier to thresh than others, like easier to harvest than others? Yeah, it really depends on the years. I don't remember the varieties off by heart. Like Spitfire that was often commented as one that was particularly hard to get out. Yeah, yeah, it is a hard threshing. They've all got their own challenges and there's everyone's got their favourite depending on different reasons. But Do you have a favourite? I can't remember the name of it, but there was there was one back in 2020. It was... It just performed beautifully as a crop goes and so it yielded very well. It may have been reliant. Reliant, yeah, I remember that one was grown. It might have been 2020, a fair bit, even on the place where you were at. Yeah, that could have been it and it was just easy easy to harvest, easy to thresh out and so it was not much strain on the machine at all to get it out of the husk and up into the grain tank when we were able to really hook in and, yeah, quite a lot of fun. It's just. That's when it's smooth sailing, is it? You've got the right variety, it's the right conditions. That's where you get the bug and that, that kind of gets you through those hard, those hard times. Yeah, that's it. And I think everyone always talks about like that perfect time because it's, I don't know, I, to me it's nearly, it's nearly like race car driving. They're trying to hit like the perfect lap and they're trying to ace every corner. But to me it's if you can just get that extra few points of a kilometre an hour and you're just playing with percentages just to really max out your capacity and throughput and production. That's just tweaking and trying to go faster is, is <laughs> what I love. So you're getting the racing gloves on and the visor down and getting the suit on, yeah, ready to go, making dreams happen. <laughs> I just had one more question for you. In terms of canola, I just wanted your opinion on direct heading. Do you guys do a bit of that? Yeah, so we did a bit of direct heading this year. 
that decision was made by the grower because of the flood risk. He didn't want windrows on the ground and them to be swept away and the ground was wet and even getting the windrow attractors into the paddock and not making an absolute mess before we've even been there. There's, you know, fair number of reasons why, but we did all direct heading canola this year. As far as yields go, I can't really say. I've never harvested a paddock that's been half windrowed and then you have direct head the other half and then you can see that direct correlation. As far as operationally goes, it can be more tedious, but I think canola can be a bit tedious sometimes anyway, particularly when it gets hot and dry. It's nearly so dry and slippery that it just just doesn't want to feed. Have you ever come across many crops like that that have started just shattering, like there's nothing you can do, you just touch it and boom, it's gone? Plenty of times. There's nothing we can really do about it. Like we, we're doing, you know, we're doing the best we can and that can happen with any any crop. You're going to get some sort of loss of grain off the front and so really we're trying to limit that as much as we can but the biggest thing we're trying to look at is making sure we're not losing anything out of the machine. No, that's interesting. It goes back to the conversation of whether you have one as a grower versus whether you get a contractor is that timeliness and yeah, if you get into the point where it's starting to shatter, then obviously it would have been great to be there earlier. And I guess that whole direct heading, wind rowing conversation goes back to you know, trying to get your ducks in a row in terms of you know canola first, then hit, get onto your wheat and see not, they're not coming in at the same time. Yeah, that's right. I've had plenty of trouble with canola, direct heading canola in the past, but this year we purchased cross augers and that made a big difference. Can you explain to the listeners? Cross what? augers, so we run draper fronts. So they're fronts that don't have the table auger in them. They're often they're the headers that you'll see in pictures or they've got a big auger in the front and that's how they move the crop from the knife bar into the centre of the front and then feed it in to the header. So draper fronts so use rubber belts, big mats basically. And so cross augers is essentially a small auger that you sit you mount onto the front it sits relatively high probably level with the top of your backbone or the main frame of the front same height and just as as far back as you can sort of get it and it helps just compress the canola just because it's so fluffy particularly when it's dry it's like the belts can't get any traction on the crop and so it just really just won't feed and so it's just bubbling out everywhere and so the cross augers put pressure on the crop and hold it down onto the mat so then it can get moved and it's they're timed with the mat so that they're they're moving the the crop at the same pace as the mats are and you're just trying to make it all work together and yeah it just works well for fluffy crops that sometimes tend to not want to feed it's kind of just running it's not really moving anywhere and so this cross auger just forces it down pushes it through enables that traction that you were saying onto the mats to go straight up. Yeah, and it's not bulletproof. Like you can still have dramas, but it definitely makes a difference. So did you have to install that yourself? Like is there a fair bit of work done behind the scenes to make sure these machines are ready to go when you need them? Yeah, as far as the cross augers go, we just rung around to find out who makes them, how much they cost, and it being the year it was, not many people were windrowing their canola. And so a lot of people were looking at the possibility of direct heading 
And so there was a, many places you looked, there was quite a waiting line for cross augers because everybody was anticipating the need for them. And so we tried to, we got in early and we still only just got them. It was too late. Like we'd already started canola and we just had to pull up for a day to put them on. How much time now does it take out of you and you kind of fill in the off season, I guess, with various jobs and then you're back into harvesting? How much time do you spend working on your two headers? Generally, I've started kicking into the gear of looking at headers and thinking about harvest from about August, start of August, probably July. I'm thinking about what I'm needing to do and trying to start lining things up but then actually really getting in and pulling things apart and checking the headers and fixing things. It's, yeah, probably from August. And I think for two headers, that's probably beginning to run it a bit late. I'm still figuring that part out because, yeah, ideally we'd like to probably get some earlier harvesting than what we currently do so that we're not having to push later on into the season. Just be happy to finish at Warren and that be that. So maybe even like planning further north, see where they're up to, what the season's been like, lining up some jobs there. And so in saying that you've had to have your headers ready by then, yeah, right, so you don't want to go too far south at the moment. Yeah, that's just a personal choice. It's, I've spent a few Christmases away from home and completely missed out on that whole family side of things and it's not the same. <laughs> the downside to, yeah, harvesting being in the summertime crosses over with some other important things. Right, well, thanks very much, Bill, for giving us some insight into the world of harvest contracting. Hopefully this coming season there's a bit of crop and we'll keep you busy. Hopefully. Thanks for having me on, Tim. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Nerily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.